I'm Nicole Stevens. Come join me and let's walk with Jesus. Hey, y'all. Hope your week's been going good. Um, it's only Monday, so I don't know. Week hasn't really been much yet. <laughs> um, so... I wanted to talk this week about uh, grace versus works, and last episode um, kind of established that by God's grace alone are we able to have a relationship with God. Uh, it's a gift from God that only He could give, and that's why we can have eternal life by His sacrifice on the cross. You can usually find Christians who are very work-based, um, or you can find, well, so work-based I would say is legalistic. Um, or you can find Christians who are more cheap grace. And so uh, cheap grace is a term that's used, and I'm going to say his name real wrong, but it's uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, and he used it in his book called The Cost of Discipleship. And I think it was written in 1937, um, so it was a bit ago. But this is what he said um, in that book. It says, cheap grace means grace sold in the market like cheap jacks wears the sacramite the sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, and the consolation of religion are thrown away at cut prices. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price, grace without cost. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance and because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using and spending it are infinite. What would grace be if it were not cheap? Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. So if you just kind of look at that, um, cheap grace is actually not what grace is at all. It's not biblical. Um, So yes, grace... And us having eternal life is by the gift of God alone, not by any work of man, so that we can't boast, right? That's a the Bible verse we were talking about last time. Um, so we, we know that to be true. Um, and we know that legalism, which is following the law um, only and not accepting the grace, uh, doesn't earn you grace either uh, because grace cannot be earned. Uh, the purpose of the law, though, it shows us our heart and it shows what sin is. So Romans uh, 7, 7 says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I have not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. covet. So I know a lot of people want to say, Oh, well, Jesus came and he did a- away with the law. But, you know, the Bible says that Jesus came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. Um, and the law is there to show us that we're sinners, to show us that by God's standard of holy, we fall short every time, Um, and so it's to help bring us to grace, Um, and then also in Leviticus 17, 11, so let's go Old Testament, um, it says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul, so we know back before Jesus came, they were having to make animal blood sacrifices for the atonement of their sin. And so when Jesus came, he came and actually fulfilled the law by dying for our sins. So the law has a purpose. 
Um, and, and grace obviously is that unmerited sacrifice. We didn't deserve his sacrifice, uh, but he gave it to us. And so, um, but we look and, and we have to see that grace and and works or the law kind of go hand in hand in a way. So um, what I mean by that is when we receive God's gift, his grace, um, and we have faith in him and his promises, um, what does our life look like after that? Does it look the same? Do we not change at all? Because if there is no change, then I want to challenge you. If you look at 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 18, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So this isn't talking about, you know, just after you die and, and now you're a new creation. It's saying if you're a person in Christ now, you are now a new creature. Well, if you still look like the old creature, the question is, did you ever receive the grace? Uh, because I believe that you cannot lose your salvation. Um, and I uh, think a lot of times, you know, there's times where we live in rebellion, um, just like, you know, our children do against us. Uh, but if we're just the exact same and we don't feel any conviction and there's no desire to uh, follow Christ, then... Can you really call yourself a Christ follower, right? Um, and then in Matthew seven twenty through 23, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then while I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. So you can even just be a good person, right? Um, and do, you know, the church thing. You're going every Sunday and you're reading your Bible and, you know, you're doing all the checklist. Um, but if you don't really have a real relationship with God, where you really did receive that gift of grace and really, uh, you know, have that real relationship with the Lord, and you're just going through the traditional things that you think you're supposed to do, um, it's meaningless because it's not real, right? Can we look at Judas in the Bible as someone who professed to follow Jesus, to be a Christ follower, um, but he had no fruit in his life? Sure, he, he you know, did all the things the disciples did as far as, you know, went in their um, times of ministry. and But when it came down to it, the proof was in the pudding, right? Um, he betrayed Jesus. He did not have a real relationship with Jesus as far as we know, um, but he professed that he had faith, um, but he didn't have the fruit to show. And so you can say that you have faith in Jesus and yeah, I'm a Christian. How many people in America do we know that claim to be a Christian? But how many people in America do you see that claim to follow Jesus, but actually have the fruit? of being a disciple of Jesus. And so that's kind of what we're looking at right now is, is your profession of faith real? Is it true? Do you really believe that uh, he is Lord and he is King and that he made that sacrifice for you? Um, because if you did, then your life would show that fruit because the Holy Spirit lives in you now. 
and you would be living a life of gratitude. Not perfect, but you would have something to show um, a, a growth of a new creature. So if we look at uh, James 2, and I might just read a big chunk here. It's like uh, verses 14 through 22. It says, What doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith, and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou dost well. The dev devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by his works? By works. When he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar, seest thou hath faith wrought with his works, and by works with faith made perfect. So I know that kind of sounds complicated, but um, when we look what do we say all the times? Actions speak louder than words. So if I say, hey, you know, this is a dumb example, but if I say, hey, I, uh, I'm a pie maker, but I never make pies, I'm a liar, right? I mean, my actions are going to speak for himself. Or, you know, I am the best uh, guitar player ever, uh, but I never actually play guitar. Uh, just somebody might have gave me a guitar one time, then it doesn't make sense. It's not true. Your actions are going to prove what you believe, what's in your heart. Um, there's another verse. Well, it's actually two verses. It's uh, Matthew 12, 34. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. And then down in um, Luke six forty five, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. So your actions and your words have to go hand in hand uh, because that's really um, the meat and potatoes, I guess, of what you really believe. And so if you examine your heart and ask God to examine your heart and look at the fruit that you're bringing right now in your life, what does it say? The things that you spend time talking about, does it really... Um, reflect who you want to be because whatever you're talking about is what you treasure and what you believe and so um, that's just something that I think is good to challenge ourselves on uh, because if I say I follow Christ I want to actually be doing things that follow Christ there's many times that you know like I said you you look in the country we live in and there's a lot of people who say that they're Christians but when you look at their fruit, they don't even believe uh, that the Bible is really the, the inspired word of God. And a lot of times they'll pretty much rewrite the Bible because they don't read it. And, uh, and they'll just say, even if they're confronted with scripture, and they'll just say, well, you know, God just wants us to be happy. And he doesn't really care about stuff like that. And so they're not really interested in following Christ. They're interested in following themselves. And so if you've received Christ and you believe he died on the cross for your sins and you accept that sacrifice because you know that, you know, you're a sinner, you've done things that are wrong and you don't want to be separated from God, you know, what does your fruit look like? Does it really show that you accepted his gift? 
And, um, and I don't know about y'all, but anytime somebody gives me an amazing gift, <laughs> I, w- I want to be thankful to them. And you have, you know, some Christians that say, hey, well, you know, Jesus forgave me of my sin. And so um, I'm going to heaven and I can kind of just do whatever I want till now, you know. Uh, you only live once, party it up, right? Um, and I guess the question there is, did you ever really believe you were a sinner in the first place? If, you know, if you did, then you knew that you needed to be forgiven. But if you're still living in sin and wanting to live in sin and justifying it, then you must have not really believed you did anything wrong that needed a, a sacrifice in the first place, right? Um, Romans 6 is a really good chapter and um i'm tempted to like want to read the whole thing so i won't but um i'll read a couple verses uh what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound god forbid how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein know ye not that so many of us were baptized into jesus christ were baptized into his death therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the father even so we also should walk in newness of life. Um, and that's only the first four verses. Um, such a good chapter, such a good book. Uh, so again, my challenge is um, examine your life, examine your heart, look at your fruit. Uh, you know, in the Bible also talks about how we will reap what we sow. What kind of seeds are you planting? And does it show that you really believe that um, you're a sinner and that you needed forgiveness and that Jesus um, you want him to be your savior and your king. Does your life really show that? And, uh, you know, as we see, it's really not only grace slash faith, um, cause faith is the belief in, um, God's gift and, and who God is. Um, it's not just that, and it's not just works. It's actually both of them together because your works will show what you believe and, um, and what do you believe? And is that something that you're okay with as far as what your fruit is showing? Um, So I know that's something that I have to examine for myself before. And and I know that if my fruit isn't looking good, then I know I'm sowing not great things. And you always want to make sure that you're right with the Lord, whether it's your salvation um, especially, but also your relationship because... He is the the creator of the universe. He's sovereign, and um, and man, it is great, uh, and it's a joy to have a relationship with him. I'll wrap this up with uh, finishing the long quote from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I really hope that's how you say his name uh, from the Cost of Discipleship book. It says, "Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ, at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock." Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price, and what has cost God 
much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. I think I'm going to have to buy that book. I actually don't own that book. Um, but in any case, I hope that y'all uh, always feel free to email me at walkwithjesuspodcast at gmail.com. And I hope you'll have a great week. I'll be praying for whoever's listening. And um, I'll talk to y'all next time.